my radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Sunday Live on 91.3 FM Stereo. Sunday Live. 23 after 8 in the AM. Welcome back to Sunday Live. Keep in mind the views expressed in this program are not necessarily the views of the Voice of the Cape, its management or staff. Well, with World Refugee Day fast approaching on the 20th of June, we look at the rights of asylum seekers in South Africa. The day is celebrated each year to honor the courage of those people who were forcibly displaced from their home countries due to violence or human rights violations. Joining us online is Sally Gander, Head of Advocacy and Legal Advisor to unpack this discussion. Good morning. Sander. Sally. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, uh, in terms of just road statistics and broad stocks, how many refugees do we have in South Africa? And uh, in terms of being either, you know, permanent residents, asylum seekers, what basic rights do they enjoy? Sure. So it's a difficult question to, to answer exactly how many, and um, there's, there's often misreporting. What we at Scalabrini Centre look at is the um, the national census, and the last one was done almost a decade ago, but they do a, a midterm one as well, and there the estimates are that um, between 3 and 7% of South Africa's population are foreign-born. Um, so that would include refugees, it would include permanent residents and um, various other groups. We we have also seen some reporting by the Department of Home Affairs and Parliament that says that the number of asylum seekers active on their systems at present is 188,000. Um, so, so there are various numbers, but broad brush strokes, uh, 3 and 7% of the population. And in terms um, of um, some of the rights that they have under our constitution and within sure. the, uh, our country, so, um, so, so the constitution. Uh, if we if we look at the kind of three broad groups, there's um, cross border migrants, mm-hmm. and then there's asylum seekers, and there's refugees. Right. Um, an asylum seeker is trying to get recognition as a refugee. A cross border migrant is someone who doesn't necessarily have. Um, they haven't fled their country because of, of persecution or uh, or war, and um, yeah. So the rights uh, guaranteed in our in our constitution, most of the rights in the Bill of Rights are are guaranteed for everyone. Um, the the few that are, are kind of only given to citizens, for example, that are, there's the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes in the implementation of a right, uh, there's, there's further kind of reservation. So, for example, um, refugees and permanent residents are able to access a social grant. But an asylum seeker or a, a cross-border migrant, um, even where they've got uh, documentation such as uh, one that's quite well known as the Zimbabwean special dispensation permit, mm-hmm. uh, they wouldn't be able to access a social grant. Oh. But other than that, the right to health, the right to education, all of that is guaranteed to everyone. Mm. So with that distinction, is it because of legality of uh, or questionability of the reason why they are cross-border or within our shores, or uh, I mean, you know, ultimately, wouldn't South Africa's constitution not say that South Africa belongs to all of its people that live in it? Yeah. Um, look, I think 
there's, 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 it's difficult. The government is in a difficult place because they've only got um, a finite number of resources. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the way that the courts have ruled in the past, and, and this was particularly with regard to the right to um, housing, is that um, when, when the state is trying to, if we take a step back, the state has an obligation to respect, protect, fulfill, and promote the rights in the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. So respecting and protecting is, is not violating those rights, but then to fulfill and promote is to, uh, to take positive steps to implement rights. And when it comes to housing, that means trying to make sure that everyone has access to housing. And the courts have said that this right is one that is progressively realized uh, within available resources. And, um, and that's quite similar for a lot of the, uh, the socioeconomic rights in our constitution. It's that there's an acknowledgement that, um, that there are, there's a finite number of resources and that the government has to do everything it can uh, to try and progressively realize or increase uh, the number of people that have access to it, but that, um, that there are constraints. I, I would be hesitant to say that um, knowing the circumstances uh, from which uh, from, or from where someone comes is, is a reason why uh, those rights are limited. Um, but there is international law um, in the form of the 1951 Refugee Convention, which says that refugees should be afforded uh, the same rights as citizens uh, in and it lists the, the various respects and one of them is is social assistance mm-hmm. and so south africa is complying with that by by extending social assistance to to refugees sure how do we how are we going to celebrate world refugee day in a week's time um <laughs> It's a bit difficult this year. You know, in the past, there is often um, various NGOs in Cape Town kind of have gatherings and events. I know that um, last year, the Adonis Masati Project had an event at Salt River Hall. Uh, I'm quite sure that the Somali Association of South Africa, based in Belleville, uh, or the Western Cape branches, they've also had um, World Refugee Day events in person. Um, whereas this, day, this time, it's, it's, it's more difficult. And I think... Perhaps it gives us pause to think how how do we celebrate in a time of um, of contagion, um, and and one of the ways is is perhaps reaching out to to members of your community, whether they are refugees or not, um, and this this could include citizens that may be more vulnerable, and 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 just checking in on them and seeing if there's there's some way that that one can help and. And this has to be done in a safe way and in a respectful way. But, but just trying to kind of acknowledge that, you know, um, so many of us have experienced during the lockdown, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what what it means to be scared of something bigger than ourselves and outside of ourselves, and and acknowledging that and just kind of reaching out on a very uh, personal and human level to to anyone who might be vulnerable is is a good start in in celebrating the courage of of the many many millions of people across the world who have had to flee their countries mm. so in terms of um, excluding you know asylum seekers and uh, uh, cross-border migrants the, 
you know, it's it's a catch-22 because on the one hand, one can argue that we may or may not have enough resources, but at the same time, we can't let people that are resting within our homes and shores, um, you know, um, go into poverty or be denied access to health care or anything like that. And for that matter, not receive a social grant, especially during COVID-19. Is that the reason why you're perhaps took the, uh, you know, the government to court or at least, uh, you know, filed for for uh, legality and questionability of uh, how things are unfolding at this moment. Sure. So, um, yeah, we we've taken the government to court and specifically um, the Department of Social Development, and um, it is it is around the okay. So, the COVID nineteen social relief of distress distress grant is is a special grant that has been announced and. Um, in the announcements both by the President and um, by Minister Lindiwe Zulu of Social Development, they said this grant is is aimed at those who are most vulnerable and who have been or ha- have not been able to access any other form of relief. And and there have been other forms. There's um, the the Unemployment Insurance, insurance Fund TERS benefit, which is the Temporary Employer Relief Scheme. Um, there are people that are accessing social grants and there are some people who are um, privileged enough to continue being able to earn a salary during this time. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's commendable that that this special grant was announced. It's for six months and you, you, you apply and once you apply um, and you've gone through the various eligibility requirements, you would start receiving it, but you can't get back pay. So if you didn't apply in month one, then you only can get it for five months. Okay. Um, and and when when we heard about this grant, we we were really hopeful that um, that asylum seekers who haven't been able to access the uh, SASA grants previously would at least get this one, because uh, it is a special grant. It's a an extraordinary time, and um, and it seemed based on the descriptions that um, that it would only be the, the most rational thing to protect everyone if uh, you make sure that a grant like this is really available to anyone who who finds themselves in in this incredibly vulnerable position mm-hmm. and the um, the fear is that um, if someone doesn't have access to any form of, of relief that um, that they may be forced to kind of leave their home to try and, and find access and that puts everyone at risk mm-hmm. and our, our other um, kind of Belief is that you know everyone in South Africa pays taxes. Um, whether you're filing a tax return at SARS or um, simply buying something which has VAT attached to it, you're, pay- you're contributing to to the national fiscus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we we were quite disappointed when the eventual um, kind of regulations were were published on this grant and. And that again, like with other SASA grants, said it is only available to persons with refugee recognition, to permanent residents, and to citizens. Mm-hmm. And at, at that point, we again um, wrote to the Department of Social Development and and urged them to reconsider. And um, yeah, we've we've been trying very hard to engage, but um, but it hasn't 
it hasn't resulted in in more protection in the way that 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 we believe is necessary at this time. And so we took the step to to launch litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, our case is due to be heard this coming week on the day after Youth Day, in fact, on the seventeenth. Mm-hmm. And um, and and so we'll we'll see. We we firmly we firmly believe that uh, that that there's a strong argument. Uh, both legally and otherwise, that um, that this grant should include the more vulnerable members of our society, and at this time, many of those vulnerable members are uh, persons on on special dispensation documentation, um, which would be the uh, Zimbabwe permit that I've, I've mentioned. There's also a Lesotho one and an Angolan one, mm-hmm. um, and and asylum seekers, and and part of the reason uh, around asylum seekers is that. Um, as I'm sure many of your listeners would know, many asylum seekers stay on that asylum documentation for uh, quite a long time. I would say that the average is between five and seven years, if not longer. And so you could have someone who who is essentially a refugee, except that they they haven't been recognized as such through the bureaucratic process. Mm-hmm. And... And so in any other respect, they would have had access to this grant or other grants, but um, they haven't had that bureaucratic recognition. And we've seen um, an Auditor General's report from November last year that said that the the backlog within the Refugee Appeals Board would take 68 years on their estimation to to get rid of. And and if that's the case, then then there are lots of refugees who, who, who haven't been given the recognition of refugees, but they um, they are here in the country on asylum documentation. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose um, you know, in terms of uh, putting pressure and trying to recognise the need for helping them. I mean, at this point in time, are you just basically dependent on other support from NGOs to help a lot of these other individuals who are asylum seekers or uh, COVID, or I mean, sorry, um, you know, uh, cross-border migrants? Are you just dependent on other NGOs to pull through and support them? So we we've been running support campaigns, and I know that other NGOs in the sector have been doing the same. Um, there's also the community action networks, particularly here in, in the Western Cape, um, that have been active with um, kind of feeding schemes and food uh, soup kitchens, etc. And and I know that a lot of religious groups as well have um, have have been really instrumental in in coming together and and ensuring that we don't leave anyone behind in our response to COVID. So. Um, so the, the, the short answer to your question is yes. Uh, I think that there is a dependence on, uh, perhaps more broadly than than NGOs, on civil society organisations, which includes NGOs and religious groups and community organisations. Absolutely. Well, Sally, um, kudos to you. Hope it all works out in your favour for yourself and your team uh, coming up Thank this you. week. And uh, we we really appreciate the good that you know you all are contributing. So perhaps. Uh, Let's let's keep it at that, and we hope for, we we wish to hear from you in the near future. Thank you so much, and thank you for inviting us onto the show. We really appreciate having the opportunity to to engage on these issues. It's an absolute pleasure. Take care of yourself, and all the best. Thank you. Okay. Oh well, Sally Gander, definitely. You know, one of the things that we more often than not fail to highlight and treat. Um, 
you know, in our community revolves around, you know, our refugees, our asylum seekers, and many of them don't enjoy similar rights as much as we think they do. They actually don't, uh, even in our distributions, in our food parcels and things like that. But I suppose let's hope in time to come. Um, uh, things can change, inshallah, and that we can lend out and support them as much as we support our very own community.